Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Hi, this is Ken Blanchard. We need a new leadership model in business today, one that values both people and results, where leaders see their role as serving instead of being served. In this podcast, my friend and colleague, Chad Gordon, interviews experts who help us explore different aspects of leadership. I know you'll be encouraged and inspired by what you hear and you'll walk away with ideas and insights that will help you be the type of leaders others want to follow. Ready to get started? I'll be back at the end of the interview where I'll share what I've learned and how I'll be putting it into action. Now enjoy this installment of the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. How would you like to have a framework for driving results, inspiring your employees, and transforming your workplace? Well, that's the goal today as we dig into the book, The Culture Engine, and we're joined by its author, Chris Edmonds. Chris, welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Chad, thanks for the opportunity. Delightful to be here. So I love this because it, it, it's just the name of the book, The Culture Engine. It's, it's really about if, if that's firing on all cylinders, if it's a high-performance engine, you can do some amazing things. What, when you think about culture and organization, how do you define that? You know, it, 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 we can go into all kinds of cool artifacts and all kinds of wonderful assessments, but literally the simplicity that I come at this with is it's how people treat each other. And so that's not only how leaders treat their team members, their peers, et cetera, but how are customers treated? How are suppliers treated? That kind of thing. So it's it's about relationships and respect. And there are some cultures that do that very, very well. And there's some cultures that results is the only God and, and they have a ways to go to be able to treat people with respect in every interaction. So that's what I help them do. Okay, so let's let's think about it from an overarching perspective. I mean, we're going to talk about the things that, that a person, that a listener can do kind of on their own to, to, to bring more to the culture of wherever they are, their workforce, the, wherever they are. But you say it really kind of starts with, with like from an organizational perspective, mm-hmm. and you talk about an organizational constitution. So yeah. tell me what is that and, and why, uh, why would an organization even need one of those? Because that's not a common thing. We don't hear it's about not. those sort of things. It's not, but but the language is is very well known. I suppose I could have gone back to a Magna Carta kind of reference, right, in old England. But the idea of having something formal that actually describes what is desired is exactly what an organizational constitution is. And it has it has four parts. It's got a servant purpose. We'll talk about that more in a minute. It's got values and behaviors, which is a huge, huge part of, of a culture alignment process. And then it's got the results side, the strategies and goals side as well. So it's a single formal document that basically encompasses servant purpose, values, and results. And in your writings, you talk about how this organizational constitution is is actually a disruptive technology. What do you mean by that? Yeah, it's it's very interesting. And, and, and the idea is that most leaders have never been asked to manage the quality 
of their work culture. They may not know what to do if they learn that that work culture is bent or, God forbid, broken. And most of our cultures are not pretty today. Um, and we can we can get into some of the, the, the research on that. But literally, my viewpoint is that leaders are doing the best they can. They are doing what they have been asked to do, which is primarily to manage results. And the problem is that as humans, if results are the only thing, we can behave badly to get the results that we need, our team needs. And if another team is inhibited from getting their results done by plans, decisions, and, and actions that I might have, that's not that big a deal. So so the disruption is one of making respect as important as results. And that's a that's a shocking idea. And and literally I see my job first is to help educate senior leaders about how important it is to have a culture that is purposeful, positive, productive. And that that is going to drive great customer experiences. It drives employee engagement. And not surprisingly, after you have those two things, then results and profits follow. So that disruptive idea is to get leaders out of the mindset that results are the only important thing. They are, in fact, half the leader's job. And they look at me like I'm from outer space when I say that. Well, what do you mean it's half the leader's job? I said the other half has respect. The other half has values. And and having an environment where people trust and respect each other. Imagine that. And again, that's disruptive because that's not what leaders have been typically commonly asked to do. So it's a big education piece as well. You know what I appreciate and what I really I, I value from all of the different conversations I've had on the podcast is is – this is a choice I've learned. Is I talked to all these different authors and and all of the you know the great research that that have been put into all these amazing books like yours is is it, it really is a choice and and you could be an organization you for whatever reason you could have a leader in a great organization that's not living these values you could be in an organization that just doesn't have that but you can personally choose to actually live um, uh, uh, and and show your own strong culture. So let's let, let's just let's mechanize you, mm. what you found through the lens of listener just John Doe or Jane Doe. Mm. Where mm. would they start if they wanted to make that choice if the organization hasn't actually done what can I do to actually create that in myself? Boy, it's a it's a great question, and 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 I love the fact that we're trying to make this almost kind of the common denominator is if you treat people respectfully, really cool things happen. There's some karma there as well, but it also goes back to to the incredible Dr. Ken Blanchard, who who I've been blessed to work with full time for twenty four years. I'm really old, but but Ken's focus has always been on servant leadership. And and it's been about, it doesn't matter if you're a formal leader or not, but you are leading others by your example. You're leading others by the quality of, of the relationship you have with others. You're leading strangers um, who may not know you very well and whether or not you're a formal leader or not. So the idea of how are we going to get people into a mindset of how am I serving? How am I shifting this from an I, me, mine 
to uh, what do you need and how do I assist you? Because if I can assist you in getting things that you need done, if I can assist you as a customer to get things that are going to make your life better, increase the quality of life that you have, then you are going to continue to trust me. You're going to feel like this is a beneficial relationship and you're actually going to feel better. Your well-being is positively impacted. So there's some really cool things and it literally boils down to the concept that Ken has continued to teach all of us, which is that servant leadership isn't a role. It's simply the way you treat people. And so what I do with with leaders who might be in charge of a team, it could be a very small team, it could be a division, et cetera. But um, I, I had a wonderful experience about five years ago with a gentleman who is in an accounting firm and he had a five-person team and he says, I want to do this with my team. The rest of my organization is not signed up for this, they I, I've had I, I've had dozens of conversations with my boss, and and my boss doesn't see this as a priority, and I get that. And so, can I implement this with my small team? And the reality is absolutely so. And he did a great job, and he kept filling me in on how this team was beginning to, God forbid, share information, support each other, stay late because a project, even if it wasn't their project, it was one of their colleagues' projects. The idea was kind of. Literally, it was the all for one kind of piece, and that that if we can solve each other's problems, when my problem comes up, when I have a project burp, I've got this team, and they're smart and they're savvy and they're kind, and and that's not always the way teams are referred to in in businesses around the the, the world today. I have a little bit different a message to someone who doesn't have formal leadership or supervisory responsibility because it's a little bit harder. The reality is in an organization, whether it's a huge multinational, whether it's a small business, whether it's a a team where there's no brick and mortar at all and it's all a virtual relationship, that that team, if they have a common servant purpose, imagine that, if they have shared values and behaviors that are measurable, observable, tangible, and they have shared results that they're they're driving towards, then all of a sudden the the drama and the competition, et cetera, is is minimized. And and literally what I tell people who don't have formal supervisory responsibility is be very clear on what your personal servant purpose is and then hmm, imagine that, act to live it every day. And that's with not only work colleagues, but how about family and how about neighborhoods <laughs> and how about communities? We desperately need that in in the world today. But it's the idea that if you can, for example, if integrity is one of your personal values, then how are you going to demonstrate that? What's that going to look like? And, and, and literally what the book does is it helps leaders and it helps individuals begin to define what a a life lived in alignment to principles that are important to me, to values that are important to me, to shift it from kind of aspirational to if integrity is one of my values, then I'm going to do what I say I will do every single time. I'm going to keep my promises. I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to lie, cheat, steal. There's some interesting ways that people have begun to articulate how it is that they want to interact with others. 
And and again, we we are in an environment that results are the only gods. And and though culture continues over the past ten years, particularly has been a desirable output from senior leaders um, that that there's still an absence of an understanding of exactly what to do. And literally, when I start with a, a senior leadership team, the first thing they do is they begin to draft their personal constitution. So I want to know in a couple of days offsite that we kick this thing off with, which is an organizational culture initiative, I want to know what you believe. I want to know what your values are. Because commonly we have, and and we've all seen it, an environment where people are pitted against each other. It could be incentives, it could be their personalities, it could be all kinds of things. But when I get people to begin to share, these are my values, this is what's important to me in life, this is the way I'm trying to serve others, what I find is that those senior leadership team members have very common hmm, values and behaviors. And so I've already done a month's worth of interviews and I know where the let's call it sore points are. And it's like, well, if you both have integrity and excellence as a value, I bet you can figure out how to work together so that both of you succeed. It's fun. And it's and it, it, it literally is to take away the almost imposed drama and imposed competition because you all are on the same team. Now, could an individual player who isn't you know, a senior director of an organization who isn't even a team leader uh, somewhere, can they have beneficial impact on their organization and their neighborhoods and their communities and their homes by doing the same thing? Absolutely. So a lot to unpack there, a lot to, of, of I, I, would, I would say this kind of personal challenges, you know, to say, mm-hmm. you know, just do better, be better, uh, you know, uh, it's that be the change you want to see in the world. So actually, actually Absolutely. show up uh, and and actually um, be the organization sh- uh, showcase and model the, the, what you want to see in your organization. Let's let's talk about organizationally now. So and, and whether it's you know more social responsibility, environmental response, whatever it is, you're seeing more and more organizations outwardly talking about what their mm-hmm. purpose is. How do you mm-hmm. how, how does an organization and, and keep in mind we have listeners from large organizations as small. You know, mm-hmm. how, how do they clarify? How do they really hone in on what their organization's purpose is? Because that has to drive a lot of activities, doesn't it? It really does. It becomes the the kind of umbrella under which all this other uh, kind of thinking and an organizational constitution. And then there's the alignment to the organizational constitution, which is a lot of work. It all is driven by clarity of purpose. So one of the things that I, that I that I start with is that. You know, if I go through with my smartphone and I film 20 people that I'm going to interview, and they may be, that may be three quarters of the entire, right, employee population in a small business, or it could be in a division or a multiple divisions, or I do it by phone. Tell me what the purpose of this organization is. And the answers I get are very very tactical either. And I'm going to use an example that, that I refer to in the book where it was a, a printing company. Um, and, and literally, uh, this company printed catalogs. And first of all, you'd get the look like, what a stupid question. Because of course, everyone knows we print catalogs. We got that answer 60% of the time. 
The other roughly 40% of the time was, well, we have to make money. So here we had frontline, right, hourly employees running these huge machines, these huge printing presses to to senior leaders of major divisions within that organization say, we print catalogs or we make money. And so what the messaging had been, what the coaching had been, what the focus upon results only had been boiled down to those two things. If we print the right catalogs in the right color, people pay us for it, <laughs> right? right? We make money. But that making money is not typically going to impact the take-home pay of that hourly person? Or is it going to impact their ability to parent better or to be a more cooperative neighbor? And, and yes, I know I'm starting to get into some interesting ideas here that are literally not commonly referred to as outcomes in an organization. But if you think about a purpose statement, a servant purpose that says, who do you serve? Well, we've got all these customers. Okay, so what do you do? Oh, well, we might print catalogs. We might we might sell cars. We might make, you know, scaffolding, right, mm-hmm. for, for construction, whatever it is. It's like, okay, now we're getting a little bit too specific. You know, to what end are you toiling? What are you trying to do on a day-to-day basis with all the skills you have, all the people you have, for the customers you have, what is the end result that increases that customer's quality of life? Now, again, this is a weird question. These guys, this catalog company said, we exist to drive our customers' businesses. Now, they didn't even refer to a printed catalog in that idea. They saw that the catalog was a means to an end that allowed great products and services that our customers who are asking us to print these catalogs, right, were communicating, educating. I've got a, a client now that is a, a electrical contractor and they do commercial, multifamily, custom homes, everything. Their purpose statement is to bring peace of mind to the folks that are going to be living in, operating in, working in, being creative in the structures where they have basically wired electricity. And I thought, that's really cool. Because, and, and one, of, one of the senior leaders said, I don't want a 10-year-old in this custom home to try and plug in the toaster and get shocked. Ever. Mm. Ever. So it begins to move people away from the Heavy emphasis upon results only. But it's also about what do I want to do in this world that is significant to me, meaningful to me? How am I actually going to serve others? And and I literally go back to one of the first clients I had when I started working uh, with, with the Blanchard organization. It's Genentech up in the South San Francisco Bay Area. And they have this beautiful campus. And the last time I was there was a while back. They have full billboard size posters on the sides of these buildings with patients whose lives have been impacted. You and I were just talking about this, Chad, whose lives have been saved by the medications that they have yeah. developed. And all of a sudden, 
I've got a 10-year-old kid. I've got a 70-year-old grandma. I've got – and so every building has these posters. And so their idea is we want to help people prevail over serious diseases. Wow. Now, do they have to make money? Yes. You know, are they making money? Yes. <laughs> so making money is not, you know, the devil's work. It is, it is a means to the end that is far more meaningful to 99% of the population, which can all of a sudden kind of hook their hopes on that. It's like we're helping people in this way or that way or another way. So it's a little more involved in answer maybe than you were expecting, but it requires some thought and it requires some – almost creative writing around what do people really want from us? What is the coolest thing that we're doing? And we're doing it every day, but we're not thinking about it. So it's the key question for me is to what end? How are you improving others' lives? So we're talking about uh, and, and very detailed about, you know, what is the organization's purpose and really digging yeah. deeper and, and what feeds into purpose, obviously, is, is, is the values. So I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here a little bit just to say, so if you know what the values are, let's assume that those values are out there and they're on a wall mm-hmm. somewhere. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you actually create those behaviors, those value behaviors in your organization? How do you go about that? Well, and I'm going to sneak back to the idea of educating leaders about the importance of having a purposeful, positive, productive culture and that what are you measuring today? What gets measured, monitored, and rewarded today? And you know exactly what I get. Uh, revenues, uh, market share, uh, new products, right? Profits, et cetera. And it's like, okay, cool. That's half your job. That's half your job. The other half is to ensure you've created an environment where people treat each other with trust and respect. How do you measure that? And again, they look at me like I'm crazy. So, so I will admit that I have crafted this skill to be able to help people of all types, of all kinds, and in all industries, of all roles and organizations, large and small, to say, okay, if you have these three values, four values, five values, and you're not measuring them at all today, there is no system by which you gather whether or not leaders and even team members are actually modeling these values with each other what's the subtle message that you're transmitting and they look at me like those values aren't important i said well you may have the hope that these values are embraced and modeled on a daily basis but that's not a great way to run a business so literally i say You've got benchmark players. You've got stars that not only do the results well, but they're nice. They're kind. They, they serve others. They're fun. They're, God forbid, happy. How do they behave? How are they acting? And I always start to get into, in essence, what I've described, which is observable, tangible, measurable. How do we translate a value of excellence? into terminology that helps anybody that lives in the organization understand exactly what's expected of them. How do you take a value like, yes, fun, and translate it into a meaningful behavior that, and we'll come back to this, that you're going to have to measure just as you measure traction on market share, on profitability, 
So so we'll loop back to that. But I I have I have in my hand, you can't see it, um, a cool little pocket card that one of my clients created last year. And they have five values. They are fun, integrity, respect, safety, service, teamwork. They're in that order because they spell out the acronym first with two S's. I did not create this. This is this is these guys' creativity. But the fun behaviors i said oh really tell me how you're going to measure that right Right, so they said i celebrate success i said that's cheating (laughs) you're going back to results but the celebration is critical noticing it and validating others efforts and accomplishments i encourage and support work-life balance Ooh, that's measurable i come to work through choice not necessity that's Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Their fourth one is I support community and company events that help our employees and their families feel a connection beyond business as usual. And so with each of these, the question that I get them to hang on to is we need to find – and again, if you have three or four values, we need three or four behaviors that people can understand that that's what's expected of them when they come into work. And, and, and the idea is they, they say, well, I want, I want people to have a good attitude. I said, I don't give a rat's behind about attitude because it's not measurable. Mm. If people are doing what they say they will do and keeping their promises and communicating in advance of any issues that bubble up, okay, now we're getting somewhere. That's measurable. And so people go, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. So once we get into the mindset of how do we translate those values on the wall into tactical ways that people are treating each other? Aha. So what, what, what I try and underscore is if we define these values in behavioral terms and we publish them, does that mean everyone will embrace them immediately in all actions forward? No. It means they're going to wait and they're going to see if leaders do it first because that will build credibility. So you can you can sense that there's this, this system underway, which is, okay, so once you announce these, now the first folks that we're going to do a formal custom value survey on in six months is you. <laughs> leaders of the organization and they go me why don't we do next level leaders we should we should rate them first no no it's got to be everybody who has a formal leadership uh responsibility and in essence i just did one with my electrical contractors and we're building one for another client right now literally it's it's creating a survey and it can be you know a, a free platform there's I, we did with the world's largest retailer um, we did a seven state 400 stores 85,000 associates 90% response rate through Cvent uh, Cvent is a people know it probably because it's kind of a registration Right for big events, kind of a thing. But they did a wonderful job of monitoring and and administering a huge value survey. So there's all kinds of cool things that you can do with the data, but you have to formally describe what the expectations are in behavioral terms, and then we need to, in essence, have every leader be rated by their direct employees, so that every leader gets a profile. 
And uh, the idea of translating these values into hard, undeniable data is vitally important because then all of a sudden we can we can come to those leaders that are seen as values aligned and you know bow down to them and give them large stacks of 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 unmarked bills right because it's it's the validation we want to keep them but the ones that are seen as not demonstrating the values and these behaviors that's a problem. We we're not we're not going to tolerate bad behavior anymore. We're not going to tolerate people yelling, screaming, cussing, etc. That's not the the way to craft a purposeful, positive, productive culture. So it gives leaders data that they can trust, and it gives these leaders, the frontline leaders, that I'm. This is really working. It's making a difference. People can see that I'm I'm trying to to do the right thing and, and, and live our values with them. So we have been digging through the different aspects of the, 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 the constitution, the, the purpose, the, uh, or the organizational constitution, rather, mm-hmm. you know, understanding the organization's purpose, the, we've done a deep dive into values and all those terms. So, um, we, we've got time for just a, a few more questions, uh, one of the questions I have whenever I think about this, when I see it not modeled correctly, what do you do when there's the resistance, bad actors yeah. and people that just yeah. aren't living it? What, well, you know, what, what is, how do you, how do you either fix that or, or, or move on? Well, it gets, it gets to the alignment piece and that's, that's the huge part of, of the, the, the kind of underlying system, which is defining exactly what you want with an organizational constitution, but then you have to align all plans, decisions, and actions. In essence, you have to align all people to those practices, to those values, behaviors, and that servant purpose, as well as, of course, having them contribute to the organization's success with results and strategies and goals. And so that's the hard part because, again, most leaders, if the only thing they've been paying attention to is results, they can coach to results. But in many organizations, even that is inconsistent. Holding people accountable for results is hard to do. It takes time. It takes tough conversations, right? And it can it can be it can be six months of coaching to get someone on track to deliver. Now we're going to add the other half, right, of this equation, which is now we want you to actually be nice to people, right? Don't be don't be mean. Don't dismiss. Don't demean, etc. And so. As you can imagine, as these values get disclosed, <laughs> as these behaviors get specified, there's going to be a portion of the employee population that goes, you're not paying me enough to be nice to these people. I'm out of here. So I call that self-selecting out. And and wouldn't you rather people who are not going to embrace this new ideology leave on their own rather than wait for you to have to you know, quote, coach them, uh, hold them accountable, have, have a number of difficult conversations with them. If they leave of their own accord, that's great. That's great. And there's there's a portion of the employee population that goes, finally, you know, you've defined exactly what a good job looks like as from a value standpoint. I got it. I'm in. I can do this. And they totally, totally dive in. That there's there's a portion of folks who are going to continue to say to themselves, really? I'm going to behave badly and see if you actually do hold me accountable. So in essence, what, what happens after I help the 
senior leaders, the leaders of a, a department division kind of get clarity on the Constitution, I shift into an executive consultant mode, um, coaching them on holding people accountable, praising the folks that are living it and not letting people get away with bad behavior anymore. And it's hard to do. Um, what what is interesting is that the clarity of the organizational constitution sets a high bar for how people are supposed to treat each other. And I remember in 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 one of the retail clients, they had a uh, they were probably two or three months into the values being shared and reinforced at daily meetings. I mean, this is a this is a big operation, and they had a woman come into the back room furious at one of her colleagues and cuss like a longshoreman for two minutes. Now, the problem is it was, it was, you it could be heard by customers, right? 20 feet away out on the floor. And so the, the assistant department manager came over and said, I need you to go home. And, you know, I, you, 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 the, this is behavior that is clearly not aligned with our values tomorrow. When you start your shift, let's meet and see if we can figure out a way for you to not, you know, use this language in this environment at that volume or at any volume anymore. It gave those leaders a firm foundation to say, no, you can't do that. Now, does it mean that everyone sees that and goes, boy, they're serious now. I'm going to be on my best behavior. It's a lot of pushback that happens. But what is cool, and it typically takes – I'm going to say 12 plus months because there's a, a, a time frame where early on employees want to see leaders model right all of this and actually live all this. And, and that credibility can be built and then they'll line up. They'll do it. And if they see people who are behaving badly actually held accountable for it, boy, that boosts the credibility as well. So the trick is you really cannot let people behave badly anymore. You cannot tolerate bad behavior. And it's liberating. Mm. But it's it, it's hard. It takes time. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're talking with Chris Edmonds, the author of The Culture Engine, a framework for divide, uh, driving results, inspiring your employees, and transforming your workplace. Chris, we've just got time for one last question. I ask you this. What is the one thing you want that our, our listeners and, and all the people in the audience right now to kind of take away from our conversation today? Well, what I hope is you'll make how people treat each other as important as results and profits. And literally it means you may need to start soft by doing some kind of ground rules within, within your team or within your business. Um, but to be able to not let people treat others badly is the way to getting a bit more sanity in your culture, a bit more fun in your culture, and, and ultimately a much more productive culture. I love that. Chris, thank you so much. If people want to dig a little bit deeper into you and your research and all that fun stuff, uh, where would you send them? I would send them to my website at Driving Results Through Culture. All one word, no hyphens, no dashes, all that stuff. So drivingresultsthroughculture.com. They'll find my videos, my research, my posts, and all kinds of fun stuff. I love it. Chris, thank you so much for taking some time to be on uh, Leader Chat with us today. Chad, I absolutely enjoyed it. It's been way too long since we've talked. So thank you, brother. Thank you. And thank you for joining us for today's podcast. If you enjoyed this interview and like to learn more and also help us grow the audience, please subscribe to the Leader Chat podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, or wherever you're listening. And please share this with your friends. 
The best way you can help us grow, though, is feedback. As Ken Blanchard says, feedback is the breakfast of champions. So please write us a review if you haven't already. And by the way, this podcast is sponsored by the Ken Blanchard Companies. If you'd like to learn more, there's even a lot of free resources to better yourself and your organization. Go to KenBlanchard.com. You'll find all kinds of free tools and materials to help you and others grow. Thanks again to our guests for joining us today. For now, I have the pleasure of turning it over to Ken Blanchard for his thoughts on what we discussed. Here it is, your final minute with Ken Blanchard. I tell you, I really enjoyed, Chad, your interview with Chris Edmonds on his book, The Culture Engine, and for several reasons. Number one, I'm a big Chris Edmonds fan. I mean, I rescued him from the YMCA kind of years ago. Uh, I went up there and worked, and, and he was just a natural. And so he's been a part of our culture and our team in many different ways over the years. And then the culture engine is really a fabulous concept, particularly when you asked him, Chad, what, how are you defining culture? And it, it was so simple. It's how we treat each other. My God, that's really good. And he's not talking about just how you treat each other in the organization, but how you treat customers, how you treat suppliers, how you treat you know guests and all. And uh, what a what a wonderful simple way to talk about culture. It, and it's really, as he's saying, it's all about relationships and respect. See, Chris is a big comp- uh, believer in the both and philosophy. You know that Jim Collins talked about in Good to Great. You know is that. It's uh, not either or results or people in relationships. It's a both end. And what he really wants to get in people's minds is that the way you treat each other is as important as results. And I want to tell you, that is powerful. You need to take that message back and share it with people in your company. And what I've found is that the greatest companies look at their people as their number one customer and they work on training them, empowering them, loving them, treating them well, you know, creating a culture where they want to be. And as a result, what happens, they take that culture outside the organization and they treat their number two most important customer, you know, the people who use your product services, fabulous. And then they become raving fans of your organization. And that takes care of the results. You know, and as I've said a long time ago, Profit is the results that you get for creating a motivating environment for your people so they take care of your customers. And boy, Chris, you really have nailed it uh, here. And I think it's an important, important concept. So take it back to your organizations. Share it with people. It's a both-end philosophy. And culture itself is about how you treat each other. And if you treat each other well, then you're going to treat your customers well and your suppliers well. And then you're going to win because the results are going to come. 